Welcome to Democracy in Action, a show from the League of Women Voters of Broward County, where we bring you the stories of everyday people who are making democracy work. This week on Democracy in Action, I speak with Gracie Smith. She is a wife and mom, a master's student at Nova Southeastern University, and a former candidate for the City of Oakland Park City Commission. In this interview, we discuss what it takes to run for public office, why she's a Stacey Abrams fangirl, and she explains to us what democracy in action means to her. Please welcome Gracie Smith. Thanks for agreeing to do the interview, Gracie. We usually start the interview with the first question. So what was your first political action or memory of being political as an American? Oh, well, I I love that you guys provided the example of when did I register to vote, which for me, (laughs) it was a surprise (laughs) even looking at my registration because that was back in 2010. So that was right after I graduated high school. And it helped jog my memory. I remember I was a freshman in community college and, you know, you had the people out there registering, you know, students to vote. And I guess, you know, if I could add to that, I'm, you know, joining the military. I I guess that was more of the patriotic act. So, you know, coming out here now, it's just, you know, continuing that service. Okay, that's cool. And when did you, you joined the military right after high school, right? Yeah, I was 19. So I did a year of community college. And then right after that, I went into the military. Okay. So you said you were patriotic. What do you think made you patriotic and made you want to serve like that? Oh, well, I was the youngest of four with three older brothers. So that meant like, you know, playing a lot of video games and things like that. So I I was always into that kind of stuff. And, you know, by the time I was 14, actually, I decided I wanted to join the military, you know, going to school and things like that, that just wasn't in my plans. Mm -hmm. And I I just wanted to serve. I thought it, you know, not only did it look cool, but it was like, (laughs) wow, that like, what, what's the ultimate thing that you can do to, you know, serve your country? And that was being part of the military. And so I was able, I was fortunate enough to be able to have that experience for five years in the Navy. Nice, nice. And so so what was your, so was your job in the military? I know you were on a ship, right? Cause I know the Navy, it's all about you traveling on like those huge <laughs> ships and yes, you know, traveling I was all around the world. Yeah, I was on a carrier um, and I was stationed overseas in Japan, Yakuza, Japan. So you know, I love that you bring up the traveling because it is definitely a great opportunity for you to travel. So we traveled all through the Asia Pacific, you know, Philippines, Singapore, we went to Australia. It was amazing. You get to experience a lot of the different cultures, which, you know, coming back home to America, it was like a culture shock. But my job in the Navy was aviation organs, men, and pretty much we just helped with, you know, assembling, inspecting. And, uh, you know, just putting together the missiles and, you know, weapons and small arms and stuff like that for, for training, for flight training, you know, in case okay. something did ever go down. Gotcha. All right, cool. That sounds, so it was a lot of fun doing that. You learn a lot about the, I guess the ordinances or I don't know what you call it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, the missiles and ammunition. Yeah. It was yeah. fun, you know, because you, in order for you to rank up, you have to test, you know, you, you kind of have to learn your job and that entails learning all of the different missiles and different parts and how to assemble bombs and things like that. So that was always very interesting. And, and to see a live bomb, you know, it was like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. this is a real bomb. So yeah. And it was very interesting. I would say anytime anyone asked me what my experience was like in the military, I, I just, I always say it was very humbling. You meet a lot of different people from uh, you know many different walks of life 
And and some people you probably, you know, like I didn't know what a Filipino was before that. I grew up in Miami, so it was mostly just, you know, Spanish <laughs> and, and black, yeah. you know, so it was like, yeah, what is it? So, you know, so that was very interesting. And, and you gained some lifelong friendships and people that you call your brothers and your sisters, even following your, you know, your time in service. So, and then you've got your times where it's like, man, this is hard and I'm, I'm away from home and, you know, I miss my family and things like that. But you, you, you have a good camaraderie in, in, in all of it that you're able to, you know, kind of just get through it all together. Gotcha. Okay. That's really cool. Being able to do all that and, you know, serve. Mm-hmm. So you kind of brought up that you had a lot of siblings growing up. Can you just talk about how you grew up and just tell us a little bit more about yourself uh, personally outside yeah. of service yeah yeah absolutely uh, yeah. thank you that that's actually a great question you know I don't think we very often get the opportunity to talk about ourselves as regular individuals so I grew up in Miami what's now known as the Wynwood Art District I grew up there when it was just Wynwood before all the paintings and murals it's nice the, down there. it's beautiful now yeah but before yeah. when it, graffiti was considered <laughs> vandalism and stuff you know but yeah. it's nice to see that it's being appreciated now so low income my mom was a single mother of four children and we you know we struggled a lot and so one thing that has stuck with me since my childhood was you know we had my brother and I, I tried to play basketball and, and our coaches, our, our one specific coach, he made sure that, you know, he kept us out of trouble. If, if it was not practice, it was fundraising, you know, selling candy. If it wasn't that, it was going on little trips, like water rapids and stuff like that. And that really did help keep us, you know, out of trouble. So from that, like, I feel like community service was rooted in me. So like, I could never tell my story, like my life story without mentioning that there was some yeah. type of s- form of service that I was doing yeah. that my brothers and I were doing and my mom, you know, so, yeah. so that way, you know, it was just growing up in Miami and it was, you know, it was rough growing up, but you know, nothing that, you know, it didn't break any of us. And I think if yeah. anything, it just like, you know, motivated, you know, at least I can speak for myself and motivated me more to want to, you know, do something bigger and something more than just for myself. Like, you know, I guess find a bigger purpose in life. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what's driven me. So again, I didn't have any plans of going to school. It wasn't until I was in the military. And even mm-hmm. now that I'm pursuing, you know, my um, higher education, but you know, it, it, it obviously came from, you know, that upbringing, not being exposed to certain things. Mm-hmm. So, but for the most part, happy childhood. You know, I loved growing up with my brothers. They you know, beat me up a lot, but. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it made you tougher, right? <laughs> It did. It did. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you learn how to get along. So it was a great upbringing. You know, I, I love my brothers. I love growing up with my mom, looked up to her a lot. So, yeah. Nice. So you talked about your coach. Can you tell me a little bit more about him? You said he kept you out of trouble. It seemed like he kind of served as a kind of father figure to you, right? Absolutely. Because, you know, our father wasn't around and, you know, and that was hard even on my brothers, you know, like as kids themselves, how do they assume that responsibility to take care of the younger siblings while my mom worked? You know, we didn't see much of my mom, unfortunately, but um, his name was Angelo. I I went to Spiro, which was like one of the first charter schools to come out of Wynwood. And so he was a coach there. And so we played for Aspira and, you know, it was just every day there was practice. And if it wasn't practice, we were just at the park playing, you know, while I was watching my brothers play ball and mm-hmm. I was just there. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. then he would, in order for us to be able to afford our uniforms, 
we would sell candy. So it'd be in the community or in the schools and stuff. So that's how we were able to afford our uniforms. And then to do our like, you know, small field trips as a team, we would raise fundraise that money too. And it's so funny because I hate fundraising now, but we did it so much as a kid. It was <laughs> um, experience, man. Yeah, that experience it was, early. Right, right. So, so yeah, and he, you know, he would or he would help with the school organize these events where they would recognize different families. So like our family, like my mom, like for her to get presented with like the Rivas family was the family of the year because we participated in everything. And so that was really nice. And not only having him just like off, you know, on the court, but also off the court, you know, like you mentioned, he was very much like a father figure. We still maintain, you know, good contact with him to this day. And we saw his daughter grow up and he saw us grow up. So he definitely had a huge, played a huge role in influencing us growing up. And, and many of the other kids in the neighborhood too, because, you know, mm-hmm. like I mentioned, Wynwood wasn't what it is now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Nice, nice. It's always good to have people that support you when you're younger that, you know, help you. Even if they're not parents, you know what I mean? So. Absolutely, because, you know, it does take yeah. a village. It truly does. Definitely. All right. I remember when you first met, I think you had just graduated from Nova Southeastern, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're doing your master's now. Tell me a little bit more about that. Okay. Well, so I'm getting my master's in counseling with a concentration in clinical mental health counseling. Sorry, it's a mouthful. That's okay. Uh, so yeah, following my ba- my undergrad in psychology, I was like, you know, well, what exactly do I want to do? And, and I knew that I wanted to to counsel. You know, I've gone through my my own personal experiences with postpartum depression and anxiety. So that's really what propelled mm-hmm. me into this field. And, you know, and I'm, I'm just really looking forward to helping others, you know, mm-hmm. mostly just with coping and dealing with it because, mm-hmm. you know, there people like myself, I'm all for people who need to take medication, but the route that I ended up taking was more of an organic route where it's like, how do, you know, I self-educated and how do we cope and deal with something that may never may always be a part of us, you know, and how do we learn to understand it that way we are able to live with it and not let it control us. And so the master's program at Nova Southeastern University is great. You know, now we're doing more of like putting things into practice and, you know, we're having opportunities to create group counseling plans and counsel each other. And, you know, I'll be starting my internship in the fall, God willing. And, and, you know, and aside from that, any, you know, volunteer work that I do that does kind of go around what I'm pursuing education-wise, it's been amazing for me, at least. Okay. That's cool. I'm glad that you were able to, you know, kind of hone in on that path based on your own personal experience, you said, with, with depression and all that. So, yeah, I need more people doing that kind of work. Yeah, but I think there's yeah. always that kind of, well, not really stereotype, but more of a, lots of people don't want to do that kind of thing. Right. And there's, still, there's still, kind of stuff. So. And there's still a lot of stigma around mental health, especially in minority communities, which is where I do any research that I do, any papers that I write is always, you know, concentrating on minority and underserved and marginalized communities because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't grow up aware of those things. And, you know, our parents, you know, they can't teach us if they didn't know. So yeah. Um, definitely trying to bring some awareness to that for, for our communities is very important for me. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's really important. So let's segue a little bit into the League of Women Voters or Broward County. So mm-hmm. I, I met you kind of through the group, right? I think we met at that 
I forget what it was. I guess it was like a luncheon or something. But so what made you want to get involved with this group in particular? Like with, okay. with well, the league? Yeah, no, of course. It, so when I worked in local government and when I expressed some interest in wanting to learn more about just politics, you know, I was working for the, the city commission office in the city of Tamarack. And naturally I just gravitated to it. And I was like, okay, I watched the commission meetings and I, you know, I helped the, the commissioners and stuff like that. But what more is there to it? I had recently gone back from being overseas. So I wanted to get more involved. And so one of the commissioners that works there and who, who is now one of my mentors, um, was like, hey, you know, the very first group of anything you should look into is the League of Women Voters. And so, you know, I looked them up and, and I went to one of the membership meetings just mm-hmm. to kind of like learn more about it and learn about the committees and stuff like that. And I just loved how welcoming it was. You know, it was just mm-hmm. like, oh my God, you know, thank you for being here. Here's where we, you know, where we need the most help. That was where I signed my first petition, which was to the, to ban the assault rifles. And I was okay, like, yeah, thank you. yeah, I remember that. Yes, I was like, oh my God, you know, like I was able to do all of that in one day, like in one sitting, like what, two, three hours. I I was like, wow, I can just imagine what we could, you know, what more gets done with this organization. Mm -hmm. And I had heard so many good things about it. So from there, I had signed up to be a part of the gun safety committee, which was Mm just being directed by Barbara. Yeah, uh, Markley. She's been amazing too. And, you know, just helping her table at some of the events to, you know, bring awareness to gun safety. And, and I love what she was doing with the program. It's unfortunate that COVID has stopped a lot of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. what the league um, had been doing. And I'm looking forward to being able to be more involved in that area because, you know, I, I ended up going back to school and working and running for office it was like Barbara I'm sorry I can't contribute (laughs) as much time as I want to but the league has been so amazing I see that they've got their education committee now and they've got a you they become a 501c3 so I was able to donate to that and and so it's like just amazing to see like all of the different things that the league is doing yeah they definitely have their their fingers in a lot of pies I think that's what I kind of liked about it too that you have certain groups that they're doing one specific thing and they really kind of do that thing, but the league is kind of this all-encompassing thing where you can kind of find your, like whatever you're trying to interested in, whether it's gun safety or if it's the environment or if it's, you know, whatever kind of your issue, you can kind of right. learn about right. it in a, in like a non-partisan like- way, which I, which I appreciate about them absolutely because you can see it from a broader level it doesn't have to be so like boxed in you have a lot Mm -hmm. of like they look at the entire issue for what it is as a whole so absolutely I agree with the bipartisan Mm -hmm. and like you like you being part of the with the youth engagement I mean I was like oh my god this is amazing (laughs) so so I think that's great like and you can see that they're they're evolving and and that's what you want to see in any organization that you know you become a part of and that's been around for so many years so yeah, you definitely have to grow and change, especially with the times if things change, you know. When COVID hit, the media were like, okay, we're going to Zoom. So we could actually segue into what your experience was like running for office. Because I'm sure it's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of work. I think a lot of people, especially me, I don't actually know what it takes to do something like that. So if you could tell us a little bit more about your experience and what you learned from it. 
Sure. So it takes a lot of compassion, a lot of patience. <laughs> I'll say that. And just like the military, like I mentioned earlier, it was a very humbling experience. It was time consuming. So I, I don't know if you've heard, like, you know, people were like, well, it, this really is just for people who who have inherited money or they come from family and, you know, things like that. And and it's and it's almost like right to right on it because mm-hmm. I was a full-time employee and I was a full-time student and I was my full-time mom and it's just like how am I going to be able to balance any of this so mm-hmm. I didn't you know I, I decided I'm, I was going to continue full-time school but let me leave my job I learned what I could learn and that's what I brought into my campaign was everything that I was you know bringing to the table for my experience working in local government and so that kind of helped I would say though I, you know a lot of people always ask like you know what's it like being the youngest person in the race and you know all of this and it's kind of like mm-hmm. it's almost like I you don't really consider it because you're just like, well, I bring the experience. There's no specific qualifications that you have to have in order to run for office. So as long as you are compassionate and you really want to do something that's good for the betterment of your community as a whole, then I think that you have your heart in the right place. Then, you know, you're the perfect person for the, for the job. Lots of getting uncomfortable, you know, like I, like I mentioned earlier, that fundraising component, you know, as a kid, you're doing it because, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, I got to get my uniforms. I got to do this. I got to do that. And it's fun. But as an adult, you almost have to like prove yourself. Like, well, why should I give you this money? How do yeah. I know? What's it going to? And, and you almost like when you're, when you're an independent individual, it's like mm-hmm. asking someone for help. It's, it's like the hardest thing ever. And then being, you know, I was the only like Latina running in my race. And I believe in throughout the county running for, for local city commission positions. So when that conversation came up, I was like, ah. I don't have an answer for that. Like, I'm not running on any of that, thinking about any of that stuff. I just want to do the work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you have to be very, like how you said, like the league is, you have to be able to adapt to a lot of what, what happens. What I loved about it the most is just like the camaraderie between my campaign team. It was like mm-hmm. crazy how well we meshed and how well we each fit into our roles. And again, the lasting relationships that we have from that now. And then the networking, when you go to the different forums, you rub elbows with all these different people and you're learning from so many of them. And, you know, you realize that every, we're just all regular people trying to do something good by running for office and serving our communities. You know, it's not as intimidating as it looks when you're looking at it from the outside in, you know? Yeah. So the experience it was amazing unfortunately I did not win but I do have some thought of running again so (laughs) but you know it takes a lot of time so if anyone's ever interested in running and you have a family and you have you know other personal goals that you're pursuing definitely you know having to consider the time and balance that is required to run for office and Mm -hmm. to do it effectively and even after not winning I I felt no there was no weight to it because you know I know that my team and I put everything that we could put towards it and we ran a good dignified race which sometimes you don't see and so it was amazing just the the journey itself nice well you mind if i get into like the nitty-gritty of for instance you're raising money like how much money do you think it takes to run a campaign like <sighs> we'll see so, so like, I, I love that question i love it and yeah. so ask me any question because i love these transparent these transparent questions so yeah. you can have you can have someone who raises anywhere between i don't know let's say ten thousand dollars to like twenty or fifty thousand dollars right for one mm-hmm. race or one community and your race was sorry the, the city commission so that's city a local was, office for the city of oakland city, park okay yeah so city of oakland park city commission i think it was like seven of us were 
three seats. So it gets very competitive, but mm-hmm. you know, you there's like this outline of what you need to raise X amount of money based on how much the last person who won raised, right? So if mm-hmm. somebody, if the last person who won raised $60,000, then you should yeah. try to shoot for that 60,000. But then you have people who have raised less, maybe even $5,000 and they beat mm-hmm. an incumbent, which is the person yeah. who's running for reelection, you know? And then you have people who get all of these in- amazing endorsements from all of these organizations. And then you have someone who probably only got two endorsements and they win, you know? So it's like yeah. it's a gamble. It really is. That's like, if I can describe what running for office is like, it's, it is a gamble and you have to have the name recognition, like, okay, mm-hmm. Gracie, you have some great ideas, but who are you really? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, how do we know that we're going to take you serious? But in terms of like money and stuff, I've seen people win with five, like $5,500 and making okay. like basic flyers, printing them out at their house. And then you yeah. have people who are like raising $30,000 and they got these big old billboards and all of this stuff. I guess if you're going to take a class where it's like politics one-on-one, yeah, they're going to say shoot high, you know, but as you're going through the race, you're kind of gauging it and you're kind of, if you're like really paying attention and you have, you know, the people on your team, your finance people, your data people and things like that, they're kind of telling you, okay, we need to push a little harder in this area or we need to push a little harder in that area. But if you're not getting the money that you need, then you kind of got to just improvise and hope that whatever you're doing is, 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 is it to get you across the finish line. Hmm. That's interesting because when I think of fundraising, I think most people think of the big Senate races, the congressional races where in Georgia, they spent like half a billion dollars, like some crazy amount. But then you have a small race like yours where it's like $10,000, $50,000. And these city commissioners have so much more impact on your daily life. Absolutely. So it's like, it, it's so, so funny that all the money goes there, but the money for something that's like more impactful is like you like you are touching weird. like all on yeah. the right stuff like they yeah. because you know we preach like supporting your candidates with our your, your city commissioners your mayors your county commissioners because like you said these people have the most impact on your day-to-day and yeah. for some reason it's so hard for us to even get fifty dollars but when it's like somebody who's running for governor or something, you're easily writing a $1,000 check. But yeah. um, that's a whole nother conversation for another yeah, day. Yeah, that's because... like a money and politics thing kind of thing. <laughs> yes. But yeah. Yes. Nakia just wrote in the chat, if I, if I can read that here. She said, what are the data people? Those are like your data analysts, which are oh. people who are, you know, telling you like, you know, so Oakland Park has, 46 plus thousand um, residents, how many of those people are actually registered voters? Who are the Mm -hmm. ones who have voted in the last three elections? And not only just three elections, the three general, like it depends on what I was running in a general election. So the the last three general elections, and it's just like, who are your super voters? So that you can kind of, you're reaching out to people who you know are actually going to make it to, to, to voting. But the bad part about that for me, in my opinion, is that sometimes we tend to overlook those that have you know voted maybe just one time but they might be just interested in this specific race for this you know this time and so we're not going to knock on their door because they didn't vote in the last three you know so 
that's the bad part. I think when it comes to that, I, I wish we had a better, a better system when it came to that, rather than just going for the, the super voters, like the people we know are going to vote. Like everybody should know that they should go out to vote. <laughs> you yeah, know? that that's awesome. That kind of leads us into the next question. So why do you think it's important to vote? Right. Why should someone show up to go vote for dog catcher? You know, they always say the like the small mm. races. Why should somebody vote there? Even if there's not like a president, you know, like a presidential yeah. race or something. Why do you think people should vote in general? Well, because like I said, you know, you these people are the ones that are affecting your day-to-day life living. So like a perfect example would be the the recent mayor, I think, in Texas, Tim Boyd is his name, where he made a public comment saying that, you know, it is not your local politicians and your Broward County, I'm your Broward County, um, elected mm-hmm. officials, their responsibility to fix your problems. If you don't know how to fend for yourself during these times, it's like, wait a minute, people are paying our taxes and our yeah. light bills and our water bills for you guys to have resources for us in times of distress and in times of crisis. What do you mean? It's not your responsibility, you know, but this is the person that you, that you guys voted in. And mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, I think he resigned because of yeah. that. Like yeah. now, you know, what kind of person not to vote for and now you get their political views. But mm-hmm. I think it's important because, you know, we have such, and I, I, I hope it's okay for me to hone in, on, hone in on this, but, you know, as a minority speaking, like we're a very underrepresented community. And, and when I say minority, I say, you know, I say black, I say Hispanic, I say Asian, I say, you know, all of, you know, people of color. Because we, you know, we're underrepresented in terms of the resources that are available to us, education on those resources and our access to the services, whether it's mental health services, any anything related to community services that will help us get to a better, higher level to of living, you know, it's just not there for us. So when you, mm-hmm. when you go out and you learn about the different people that are running for office and you really look at their platforms, don't just do it because, okay, Gracie's name, I saw her last time. So I'm going to go ahead and vote for her this time. No, look at my platform and see if what I'm, t- what I'm saying, what I'm proposing actually is going to serve you in your community, you know? So education is also, is a huge part of of why it's important to, to go out and vote. And like you said, not just voting in a general election, voting during the special elections or voting during midterms, like all of these things really matter. And because these are the people that are gonna make the day-to-day decisions for you. The presidential election, like the president touches us about very little. But when you have your city commission who are the ones who are fixing the potholes in your streets, who mm-hmm. are, saying, okay, are your taxes going to go up or are they going to stay down? Are they meeting with our school boards to make sure that our schools are getting the resources that they need in the underrepresented communities, in the underserved communities? You know, all of these different things are things that we need to think about, especially if you don't live this privileged life. And even if you did, Mm -hmm. how can you help better the rest of your community, you know? So absolutely those just very like basic reasons why it should be important to vote why it should be important to get educated on who you're voting for and and why you're voting for that person gotcha yeah very very good points because it's so important because it affects your everyday life you know whether you think it does or not but it really does what do you think are some of the biggest challenges in the work that you do with the league i know we mentioned that you were you are a part of gun safety committee and you are doing work with them. What do you think is a challenge or something you think that could be improved? That's a great question. Um, I think the league 
is like the youth, the, the youth engagement committee. I was like, you know, this would be great if we had younger people, because, you know, mm -hmm. if you have somebody who is like six, anywhere between, let's say the, the ages of 16 to 25, who are getting involved for the very first time, it can be mm -hmm. kind of intimidating to walk into a room with, you know, your veteran women who have been doing this for so many years, I mean, decades, and then you're just kind yeah. of like, uh, I don't like, sure. am I going to be able to, you know, contribute as much as, you know, that person did or, you know, the information even that, like what it takes to know about voting processes, right? It's not enticing at all. Like anytime you yeah. think about policy, anything you think about voting, anything, it just seems like, uh, it's very, it's a lot. too much. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. So, uh, if, if you're having somebody who's younger and who's trying to learn this for the first time, how can we make them feel comfortable in coming into this space and making them feel like they are part of this space and that they can contribute to the greater mission of, of the league, you know? And I think the league did an amazing job by starting the, the youth engagement committee. And I think if, if that presence is shown more, if, you know, mm. And, and I think we've had this discussion going to the universities and to the colleges and recruiting more people because there are a lot of people who have so many great ideas and they're very mm -hmm. innovative, bringing them on. And it kind of, we're starting that, we'll have that new slate of leaders in the league come in and keep pushing the league forward and keep making it the great organization that it is, you know? So I would say that was like my only thing that when I first came into it and the, the little bit of work that I, that I was able to do with the league that I noticed, but I see that there's some work being done to actually fix that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. Because when I, I started here, I, I wasn't the one that started this group, but there was a woman named Miriam that, you know, she started the group and she kind of reached out to me because she saw that, you know, I wasn't, you know, like the typical league member. I was able to kind of get involved and, you know, we, we chatted and we were able to get some stuff done. So I think that's really what it takes. I know it's like slow, like the one-on-one -on -one stuff is really slow. It's not going to happen mm -hmm. overnight. If you're trying to build something, honestly, that's where it starts. So Absolutely. And the league gives a lot of opportunities to, hey, if anyone's interested in making this presentation on voting or on the education, yeah. like they, they are offering the opportunities to do it. It's just, you know, yeah. hey, us getting out there and really saying, yeah, I'll do it, you know? <laughs> True. Awesome. All right. So what's one myth about politics or public policy that you'd want everyone to know is a myth? I don't know if this is a myth, but I would say like this is something that I thought is like you don't need to know everything in order to like be a part of this space, like to run for office, to mm -hmm. advocate for something, to mm -hmm. go out and register people to vote. There is always going to be someone to hold your hand along the way and to teach you how to do something that if, if you don't know it. So I know imposter syndrome is something that I deal with a lot where it's like, oh my God, do I know enough information? Are these people taking me serious? You know, things like that. And that just comes mm -hmm. with, you know, us being young, being women, being parents, you know, all of these different things that we are distracted by. You don't need to know everything. And a good friend of mine actually told me, you know, don't research yourself out of a good opportunity. So don't mm -hmm. feel like you need to know everything about everything in order to be able to actually contribute and make a difference. There's so many opportunities. You have people who have been in the front, you know, like who have been elected officials and have found out that they work better behind the scenes. So mm -hmm. they put themselves back there. There's people who are like huge advocates and very passionate about politics, but they say, I could never run for office. You know, so it's like all of these different things, yeah. finding out what your, your niche is and how you can best contribute to the efforts. So, you know, just, just feeling, just don't feel like you need to know everything about everything. You can always learn something new. 
Gotcha. Yeah, because running for office, I think anyone can run for office, but to me, I feel like it takes a certain personality to enjoy running for office. Because I think a lot of people, they like the policy and they're wonky, but they don't want to run for office. You know what I mean? They don't want to do the fundraising and the yeah. marketing. You know what I mean? It's one thing to run yeah. for office and another thing to actually have the job and do it, I find. Absolutely. And like, you know, I mentioned earlier, like it's a lot of getting uncomfortable. If you're not used to talking yeah. about yourself, you kind of have to start doing that now. Like yeah. saying all of your accolades this is what people with like who are so egotistical this is what they sound like you know fundraising if you're not used to asking for anything it's like well you have to start getting comfortable doing that I would say that it does take a certain kind of personality but I but I don't think it's impossible for anyone to get into that like space Mm -hmm. to say this is what I need to do in order to win my race and then once you're in office you know, you kind of navigate how you are because some people change when they get in the office. They can be this amazing person <laughs> running and yeah. then when they get in, you're like, well, what happened to that person? So it, it just, it really just depends. And, you know, just also just not getting like, it's so easy to get off track. Like it's so easy mm-hmm. to go in thinking or feeling like you're doing it for all the right reasons and then get sidetracked by all the wrong things that are happening everything that the bad stuff that comes with politics so it's just making sure that you're headstrong and that you're focused and that you always remember why you're doing it yeah that's definitely true all right so which person would you say has had the most impact on your political views is there a certain person that this person made me want to pursue this path can it be anyone yeah, anyone. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, I would say like uh, Stacey Abrams. She has had such. I right before deciding to run for office, I read her first book. I think it's Leading from the Outside. I'm reading her second book too. So people also, when we're running for office, they have this picture, this visual of what you're supposed to look like and mm-hmm. what kind of personality, like you mentioned, you have to have. What type of what have you done to get to this position, right? And Stacy is none of that. You know, and and she's so open about it. She's so transparent about it. And she's truly a person who's doing the work because she believes in voting rights. She believes in our freedom to vote. She really believes in these things. And and it was just unfortunate, like, wow, you had the best person for this position and she didn't win this, you know, but it Mm -hmm. opened our eyes to like that voter suppression is real, that, you know, people really do rig the system so that it works either against someone else or, you know, for in the benefit, in, in their benefit. So mm-hmm. she was someone who being, you know, people don't, you know, unless you read her books, like she likes to write books and it's like, like just simple stuff. And you're just like, what? And she's like a normal person, just like everybody else, but she just doesn't quote unquote fit this picture. And so she reading her book and really seeing how much work she puts into what she does as you know in, in as an activist it's like wow that that is somebody that I, I can only hope to be like and and we recent I, I recently watched this video that they showed during one of the meetings that I was on where she was like saying like you know it's just like three simple things in life like if you're going to do anything in life you have to think about like why do I want to do it like what do I want to do why do I want to do it and how do I get it right anyone who can simplify life in three questions is like (laughs) (laughs) I want to be like that you know so yeah definitely she's someone that I do look up to and and I I think I will always follow her in whatever pursuits she has and someone that I I aspire to be like I read all about all the organizing Mm -hmm. she did in Georgia around 
know, registering people to vote after she ran for governor. Yeah, she ran for governor. Governor. She did a lot of work around that, and you kind of saw the fruits Mm -hmm. of that last November. Absolutely, and you know, help us see like you know that whole mobilization and grassroots efforts. Like that's where it is, and and it really works. And Mm -hmm. you know, it's like we can't lose our focus because of all the stuff that goes around. Like the work is still there to be done. She kept pushing even after she lost. And that to me is like the most amazing thing. Like, you know, people, someone just actually recently told me like, you know, sometimes when people lose their their race, it's like they go and Mm -hmm. crawl under a rock, you know? And it's just like, no, the work is still there. We still have to, you know, get people, we still have to mobilize, we still have to get people registered and all that stuff. So she's been an amazing example of that. Yeah. And I did find that book. You are right. It's called Lead from the Outside, How to Build Your yeah. Future and Make Real Change. Mm-hmm. So if yeah, no one's just... read it, if you haven't read it, absolutely read it. And you can get her audio and it's her reading it. So it, like, it, it feels even more like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can, uh, definitely. I'll just I'll put it on my book list. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> awesome. All right. This podcast is called Democracy in Action. So what does the phrase democracy in action mean to you? Oh my gosh, I thought over this question. I was like, what does this mean to me? I think it means everyday people like you and me sitting down to have these conversations, these candid, down to earth, like true transparent conversations. It means educating our community, educating, even if it's one friend that you get to register to vote and actually get to take them with you as your voting buddy. That is democracy in action. It is just showing truly, it's not just, you know, that whole term like Twitter fingers. It's not just talking about the problem. It's actually showing up and creating solutions and talking about how we can better our democracy. You know, we're a great country, but Mm -hmm. unfortunately you've seen in other great countries where that democracy is dismantled because for whatever reasons. And and I would, I don't think, I don't foresee it ever happening in America, but hey, you never know, you know, so- It's getting out there every single day. If you don't believe in something, like, you know, read up on it and and learn about it. If you can't get with the whole voting thing, then just, you know, kind of learn something about policy and try to see how you can affect change in that way. It's really just truly educating ourselves and and taking some form of action, no matter how small, and and getting out there and fighting for our rights. Because literally, it's a fight every single day. True. I hope that answered the question. (laughs) I think you did a beautiful job of answering the question. I appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast, Gracie. And thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Democracy in Action podcast. For more information about the League of Women Voters of Broward County, you can visit our website at lwvbroward.org.